So what are you going to learn on Money with Friends today? How about six questions you need to answer to prove that you're financially literate? We're talking about getting your money house in order with Danielle Kunkel-Roberts, author of 10 Costly Medicare Mistakes You Can't Afford to Make. Let's go. Welcome back to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement in Palm Springs, California, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihi. And I am Danielle Kunkel-Roberts, coming to you from the great state of Texas. I am in Fort Worth today. Uh, uh, you should say like the gateway of the West, Danielle. Oh, I love that. Maybe I'll try to use that. <laughs> this is the podcast where we cover recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today, we're going to tackle one from MarketWatch. Now, not only do we read them like some podcasts, but we dive into how they affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, or pay down debt more effectively. And we have also a big idea at the end of today's show you can take with you to be better with your money and all, hopefully, in around 20 minutes. Today's show is brought to you by Tiller Money. You can keep your financial life on course, easily track your money over time, always know what's safe to spend and confidently plan for the future with spreadsheets that are automated by Tiller Money. Get a free 30-day trial when you sign up by heading to tillerhq.com forward slash MWF for money with friends. Danielle Kunkel-Roberts back here on Alumni Week again. I'm so glad that you could make it this week, Danielle. Yeah, I think it's been quite a while. So how fun that I can appear here with you while you're on the road, but headed back to Texas. But but yesterday, yesterday was, was uh, it, it was like, it was your first time back, like you said, in a long time, but it was like, there was no rust. It's like Danielle is always ready. She's a hundred percent professional, steps up and just knocks it out of the park. Well, you're a great coach. So just follow your lead, Joe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. I will lead us into this one, everybody. There's a quiz today. You know how they say, God, I hope there's not a quiz. Today, there will be a quiz. Let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick it off. Hey, what's good? This is Rich from Paychecks and Balances. And do you just like hanging out and chatting about the news? Well... That's why I tune in to Money with Friends. All right. This piece is an opinion piece. We often don't do opinion pieces, but this is by Mark Halbert, one of my favorite opinion writers over at MarketWatch. Uh, Mark writes that financial illiteracy leads to dangerous investment behavior. He says, so you think you're financially astute? Then try taking the following financial literacy test containing just three basic questions about interest rates, inflation, diversification, despite being quite elementary only 34% of adults aged 38 to 64 are able to answer all three correctly. Among millennials, that percentage drops to just 16%. He talks about how those results are very sobering, but what's even more striking, Mark writes, is the disconnect between these low scores and investor self-perception. More than 71% of older adults rate themselves as having, quote, high financial knowledge. We are very confident about this whole thing. The comparable percentage among millennials, only slightly lower at 62%. So they have six questions, uh, three of which are these basic questions. And then there's another three. And it actually, the study actually goes on to show that if you can answer the second three, you're probably going to be very financially literate. By the way, don't feel bad if you can't answer these. I think it's just a good starting point for us to go forward. So, uh, so why don't I read the first one? We'll give everybody who's hanging out with us live a second, or if you're listening while you're walking the dog or doing whatever you do out for a run or a walk, uh, let's read it and give you a chance to answer. Here's question number one from their study. 
suppose you had $100 in a savings account and the interest rate was 2% per year. After five years, how much do you think you'd have in the account if you left the money to grow? So 2% per year after five years, how much do you think you'd have? Starting with a hundred bucks, the, the, the choices are more than $102, exactly $102 or less than $102. While we're giving them a second, Danielle, this idea, not just of interest, but compounding interest, I think is something that investors really, really need to know. Yeah, and it's surprising that people don't really understand that, especially uh, younger generation. I've got a cousin that's 25, and she moved down uh, living with us for a year, taking a job in sales with Boomer Benefits. And attitude was, I can join the 401k next year. And I'm like, no, at your age, literally one year really counts. That compounding interest, as much time as you can give it is so important. The, the the interesting thing I find with younger people, especially, is they pay a lot of attention to risk, but not a lot of re- attention to reward. Um, wh- because I think if you're 25 and you're putting money into a retirement fund, why not focus on being much more aggressive? And by that, I'm not saying go get a Robinhood account and trade individual stocks, but I am saying maybe have a, a, a more risky exchange traded fund, like one that is a small cap value fund or one that, one that maybe is more international or something that is at the very least something that's all stock. Sure. It's going to go up and down a lot, but with that type of time, Danielle, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're diversified, the chance of you losing, um, is very low, especially when the more diversified you are, the more you're kind of going where the economy goes. Yeah. And you've got the time to correct it if something goes down and we know that's going to happen, right? There's going to be ups and downs, but you don't want to get too tied into that. You don't want to jump in and pull your money back out. You put in a little at a time and you're going to ride those out and those riskier um, stocks and funds when you're young that you need to put the most money into that. As you get older, you can start moving some of that money into more moderate risk investments. On the other side, when we see people that are that, that are older, uh, I, I when I was a financial planner, Danielle, I saw the opposite. I saw people who were 65 years old who were throwing long, who were just going, <laughs> you know what? Hail Mary pass. Yeah, I, I don't have enough money, so I hope like hell I can make a lot right now. And that's actually up the opposite of what you should do. You maybe need to be more focused on risk when you start pulling money out. You were talking yesterday about your mom pulling money out. When you're pulling money out, you got to be really careful about where that money's coming from. Yeah. And um, her financial planner uh, has been telling her she's got some money in cash and some in investments. And he's like, spend the cash first. But that feels really risky to her because that's the money she can access so easily. But he's telling her that, you know, you want to leave the money into the investments as long as possible. And that's tough to do when when uh, when you're watching a stock market dive. OK, we that's enough time for question number one. The, the question again was you got to you, you have a hundred dollars. Your interest rate is two percent. You have five years to let it grow. Is it more than 102, exactly under two, less than under two? Of course, over five years, the answer is more than 102. You will actually be at 102 uh, at the end of the first year. If it's just simple interest, if it's compounding interest, your interest will actually make interest. So depending on how often they add money to that account, your compounding of that money might make it even more than 102 years by the end of year one, not even year five. So this idea of interest on interest, I think, is a is is a big thing. Next up, question number two. All right, Danielle, you ready for this one? Do you I'm ready. do you have this up in front of you? 
I do. All right. You want to read number two then? Uh, sure. You got it. So imagine the interest rate on your savings account was 1% per year and inflation was 2% per year. After one year, how much would you be able to buy with the money in this account? And your answer selections are more than today, exactly the same, less than today, don't know and prefer not to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we'll get rid of the last two. We're gonna put we're gonna put people on the spotlight. So, yeah. uh, uh, but let's talk about this. This is something else, especially with people that are very worried about risk. Right? I find very risk averse people prefer to put money in a savings account. But this is the piece, Danielle. I think that they really don't understand is they're very safely losing money over time. Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, personalities, when you're a saver personality and you've always been somebody that's good at saving, um, it you, it's hard to give up the feeling of security that goes along with that. But you're not thinking about inflation and that, that money has less buying power over time. Yeah, that's the tough part. And I think we'll uh, just uh, call that one right there. We actually, I just realized after I even brought that up that we gave it away. <laughs> the, <laughs> the answer is that you can buy less stuff uh, than you could before. So Danielle's point, I think, super important there. Number three on the list. This is the linchpin, guys. Many people getting these right here. Uh, buying a single company stock usually provides a safer return than a stock mutual mutual fund. So buying a single company stock usually provides a safer return than a stock mutual fund. Is that statement true or false? Um, stock mutual funds, Danielle, do you want to, do you want to do the honors there? I'm going to put you on the, on the spot. How does the stock mutual fund work? How is it different than an individual stock? Well, if you're just buying uh, one stock, you're going to have to have a pretty good knowledge of what's going on with that company. You want to be familiar with what they're investing in, uh, what the marketplace is doing, what COVID is doing. You've got to be really paying attention to what's happening. So you've got to gauge when the best time to sell is for that to be the most successful for you. Whereas if you put it into mutual funds, you've got a whole bunch of stocks in there and you have a fund manager that's picking those. And so it's a lot less work on you. So I would say that the stock, I'm just going to go for guess here, but I think that the individual stock is going to be a lot dicier. I, I think so too. In fact, that is the answer. The, the, the tough thing when I was a financial planner was uh, when I would work with people that were brand new to investing, but their first question, it was a great question was, what's the chance of my money going all away, right? Well, mm -hmm. if, if we're buying Tesla as an example, Tesla is going to go up and down based on news. I mean, exactly, Danielle, what you were just saying. But if Tesla is one of 100 companies I own in a mutual fund, even if Tesla goes bye-bye tomorrow, we still have 99 other companies. The chance of you losing your money, much, 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 much less. Sure, it's going to go up and down with the market, but, um, but it's going to be a lot less. So how did everybody do? You guys do pretty well. Well, those are the three that you need to know to be in that small percentage of people. But there were three more questions that Mark points to. So now we're going to go to level two. You got one point for every question that was right on 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 part one and two points now for a point that was right too. Oh, you know what I just realized? Danielle, from the Stacking Benjamin show, we have we do game shows every once in a while on our show and yeah. I actually have the game show music. So maybe we need to play it. Listen to this. <laughs> That's great. Isn't that, this is just the 1970s all over again. So we're on to round two of Danielle and Joe's big game show. 
let's uh all right enough of that let's go to let's go to the second set you want to do the honors on this one yes so if interest rates rise what will typically happen to bond prices they will rise they will fall or they will stay the same this one is a lot lot harder i think i think that um Knowing the difference between uh, uh, bond prices and interest rates, now we're really getting, I personally think a little heady. I don't know about you. Yeah. And I can be honest and say, I don't know all that much about bonds. Um, they're, they're not my, f- my favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing though, when it comes to interest rates, when you start to understand how interest rates work, then you, you realize that um, when your bank pays you less interest in your savings account and you follow interest rates and what the fed's doing, uh, you can stop them posting angry stuff on Facebook saying my bank is ripping me off. Maybe your bank is ripping you off, but usually what's happening, Danielle, is that the Fed is lowering interest rates and then the banks are doing the same, right? Because they're, they're making less money. But the answer to this one is if interest rates rise, bond prices fall. And it's actually uh, the analogy that I like using is this bonds are loans. And let's say that Danielle, I loan money to you at a 5% rate. Because that's what everybody's paying. By the way, 5% would be amazing right now. So yeah, you should probably, probably do that. She's like, let's talk later. But let's say that uh, that six months from now, interest rates rise and people are, are loaning money now at higher rates. Well, would Danielle rather borrow money from me at five or borrow money from somebody else at seven? That she'd much rather get seven. So when interest rates rise, if I've got a bond that's only offering five to get Danielle to buy it, I have to say, well, you know what? Theirs is 7%, but you got to give them a hundred bucks minus 5%, but you only got to give me 95. So, so to, to make my bond edible, uh, I have to lower my price. So think about it as, as a competitive environment and you got it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but took me that to do it. All right. The second one here, suppose you owe a thousand dollars on a loan. The interest rate you charge is 20%. Your charge is 20% per year compounded annually. Dang. And if you didn't pay anything off at this interest rate, how many years would it take for the amount you owe to double? Suppose you owe a thousand dollars on a loan and the interest rate you're charged is 20% per year compounded annually. If you didn't pay anything off at this interest rate, how many years would it take for the amount you owe to double? Is it less than two years, at least two years, but less than five years, at least five years, but less than 10 years or at least 10 years. I feel like this is uh, one guy's on a train from Fort Worth to Cleveland. Another woman's on a train from Cleveland to Fort Worth. Like, uh, when do they, that this, this one's tough, but why do you think people need to know this stuff, Danielle? Well, because it's very easy to not pay attention to that interest rate and just think that it's fine. You're going to pay this off over time, but you know, it's really difficult to keep up with an interest rate that high for one thing, but compounding annually, you, you may turn around and realize all of a sudden what you owe is doubled. And I think that happens to a lot of people when they don't pay attention. Uh, they feel like they're just paying and paying. And why doesn't this ever go down in this scenario? It's just sitting there. But the reality is if you don't know what that interest rate is, you can't choose which debts to pay off first uh, and do that correctly in a snowball fashion. Or if you follow Dave Ramsey or in 
you know, other fashion, you need to have a strategy there. And uh, the first part of the strategy I would have is don't take a loan out at 20%. <laughs> <laughs> That's that probably be, be a no, number one. <laughs> <laughs> Just say it. Right. Uh, uh, the answer here is, uh, is at least two years, but less than five. And by the way, the reason I think this is important too, is that at 20%, I think a lot of people go, well, that'll take five years. But remember, it's compounded annually. So much like you earn interest, Danielle, you also pay interest, which you yeah. look at student loan debt, you see these people that have been paying on their loan for five or six years, but they're not even making the minimum payment. And they're like, I borrowed 20000 now I owe $47,000. Yeah, what happened? Yeah. And it's all this compounding interest. Works both ways. Yeah. Last one. You want to do the honors on this last one? Sure. So a 15-year mortgage typically requires higher monthly payments than a 30-year mortgage, but the total interest paid over the life of the loan will be less. True or false? It's interesting. When you, when you decide on mortgage terms, what do you look at first with a mortgage? Uh, usually the interest rate. That yeah. would probably be the first thing you want to look at. Um, and I know there's differing uh, schools of thought on whether we should do 30 and pay a lot or do the 15 and um, see if you can pay less. And working with uh, with with people who are largely, I would think, part of the boomer benefits community. I think just like in your book, there's two ways to go with Medicare. There's also two ways to go with mortgages. If you're somebody that's barely going to make it with the amount of money you have, take out the longer term loans so that you pay less per month. But man, if you're somebody that has enough money, it doesn't matter what the interest rate is, pay it off. If, if you know you're going to be okay, get rid of that debt. I like that better because yeah. it gives you some freedom, but I don't know about you. If Yeah, I do too. Sling as much money as that as you can and uh, knock that out of uh, your Whole, if you don't have that loans and debt to worry about and you're just concentrating on savings for retirement, you're in a such much better place. Um, that debt creates a lot of anxiety. Yeah, it's almost like yesterday when we were talking about cleaning out the basement in the house. There's a lot less clutter, right? You yeah, that's these, true. Yeah. <laughs> All that's right. Really 15-year mortgage typically requires higher monthly payments than 30-year mortgage, but the total interest paid over the life alone is less. True, false. The answer there is true. You're going to pay less money because you're paying it it, it, it more quickly. The, uh, the, the big issue here, by the way, is if, and if you want to pay that loan down much, much more quickly, the way that these amortization tables work is the bank always gets their money up front. Like it's not really, let's say you're paying 3% on your loan. It's not really 3%. It's monster percent up front and a very low percentage out back. So if you really want to cut that interest rate, put a lot of money toward your loan in the early years and yes. you'll find that that cleans it up, cleans it up really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody did, did did pretty well. I'm I'm scrolling through. It looks like we've got some pretty smart people hanging out with us here, Danielle. We do. Look at all those trues there. Good job, guys. Yeah. Nice, nice work. Uh, in just a second, Danielle and I are going to have our takeaway from today's quiz. I hope that didn't make you sweat too much. While Danielle's thinking of the best takeaway that we've ever had on Money with Friends, I'm going give, <laughs> to give her a moment to say big thanks to everybody who's used our link when they've tried out Tiller Money. 
Tiller Money is a great way to keep your financial life on course. What I really like about it is it's the first automated personal finance platform that's built on spreadsheets. I'm not a spreadsheet guy, but I'll tell you because these spreadsheets, number one, are automated so that all the places my money and my money decisions are all gets downloaded right to that spreadsheet automatically every day. And the fact that they have templates that I can use that I can change so that I'm in complete control of my data. I really like it. Plus, like we talked about yesterday with our sponsor, there's no ads because you're paying a very small subscription. So instead of being marketed to because you're getting a quote free product, instead you're paying a small subscription and it is all yours. Cool thing about Tilder Money, by the way, Microsoft is reintroducing Microsoft Money, which a lot of people used back in back in the 90s. People loved Microsoft Money. I know a lot of people had a lot of trouble when Microsoft Money went away. That's coming back and it's going to be based on Microsoft Excel. You can use that program with Tiller Money together. Head to TillerHQ.com forward slash MWF for Money with Friends and you'll get a free 30-day trial and you'll also help the show. So thanks to everybody who's done that. What's our takeaway from our big quiz here, Danielle? Besides, maybe we need to know a little more. Yeah, I guess it would depend on how many answers you got right or wrong. But I could see my takeaway would be that a little bit of financial education uh, can go a long way. And maybe just missing one or two of these things and getting it wrong could significantly impact you in the long run. So if you're someone like myself that doesn't want to do a whole lot of study into it, uh, hire a financial planner who knows what they're doing that's going to review your whole situation at least once a year and who does know the answers to these things and can give you the appropriate advice. Yeah, I uh, I absolutely love that. At least having somebody who is a um, who knows a little bit of stuff that you don't know that you can bounce ideas off of and bounce things off of. I feel bad, especially for people that know a lot about this, because we all have an Achilles heel. And I know when I was a, back in the day when I was a financial planner, it's been a while. But when I was a financial planner, I know that my um, some of my smartest clients were the ones that also had the biggest Achilles heels and didn't, you know, didn't wanted to just cover their blind spots by having smart people around them. So uh, I really like that. On my end, the part that really got me here about what Mark Hulbert wrote, and I love the way this guy writes, is how confident we are and yet how little we know. And I don't know about you, Danielle, but the older I get, the more I realize that I don't know crap. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe... Maybe if we're a little less confident and we spend a little more time in search. And by the way, it doesn't mean that we're bad. It's actually really cool to be out there exploring and learning and finding out new stuff. Uh, uh, My wife's uncle is in his late 80s and this guy's constantly reading and exploring and and wanting to know new stuff. And I actually think that's, that's the key to his longevity, Danielle, is the fact that he's got this inquisitive mind. So if you don't know a lot about finance, don't, don't be intimidated, get in there and just learn it. It's, it's actually really fun once you get past some of this bizarre jargon that we use like 401k and Roth IRA and and uh, all the terms that you use in, in the Medicare world. I bet there's 50 of them there too, Danielle. Yeah, and it's a good parallel because we tell people the same thing with Medicare is don't wait until you're 65 to learn this stuff and create a bunch of stress and anxiety and shortfalls and potential penalties. You know, take some time up front and learn it early. You need to do the same thing with your financial future. 
I wish there was a book out there. This is what I wish for. I wish there was a book <laughs> that would go over some of the costly mistakes, maybe like 10 costly uh, Medicare mistakes that you can afford to make. Have you ever heard of a book like that? It just so happens that I have heard of a book like that. You can no find way. it on Amazon now. Can you believe it? <laughs> yes. Yes, there are 10 costly mistakes that you need to avoid. So go right out and get this book and learn what they are. That's awesome. And you can find it at uh, at, at Amazon. You mentioned yesterday at Barnes & Noble. You can yeah. get it at Boomer Benefits, um, all kinds yeah. of places. And the book has its own website as well. It does. 10medicaremistakes.com. Go check it out. Awesome. And by the way, guys, even if you're not at Medicare age, one thing I saw when I was a financial planner, people wait until they're that age to, 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 to get knowledgeable. I love the way, Danielle, you start off the book. You start off the book with brochures, 50 tabs open, magazine articles. You're reading all this crap and you're trying yeah. to squeeze it in in a week and a half because you waited until the last second. I think the earlier you get educated on this, the better. Yeah, if you think back to your high school days and the nights that you crammed before the quiz and then you failed, those are the, those are not the way. That's not the way to go about it. So you know, we need to start a little earlier on it so that you can make good decisions that will really benefit you for a lifetime. Guys, uh, thanks a ton for hanging out with us today. Bobby and I back tomorrow. Danielle, thanks for joining us for Alumni Week. This was a blast. So much fun. Thanks. We'll see you guys later back here at Money with Friends. Bye bye. The show's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends LLC, copyright 2020. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast and links to the stories discussed, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at moneyfriendspod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look out for our polls and quizzes. You could get a shout out on the show. We're well worth following. We promise. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other videos or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor. These people on this episode, they're here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you here back next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Bam, nailed it.